The scripture reading this morning comes from Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 14. <coughs> this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end, they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anna, and thank you, Wendy. All right. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Thank you for this time, Lord. We almost take for granted what these next moments, really this whole service means. And that, and that is that it's an encounter, a personal encounter with the living God. And so I pray that you would ready our hearts for such a thing, that our uh, expectations and even our posture, posture of heart, would be aligned with that reality, that we're not just listening to human words, not just ideas or suggestions. We're hearing from you, and you are offering us life. So um, help us, because we need your help. And come and send your spirit, and every person here, according to our different needs, we have a wide range of needs, we always do. Uh, do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. And lift up Jesus right before our eyes. In Christ's name we pray, amen. These days, 
When people ask me where I grew up, usually I find myself answering a, a small town in Southern California about two hours outside of LA. That's kind of how it goes. Maybe some of you have heard me say that before. And if I have a, an extra second, I might say a, a small desert town, because it's a big part of my identity. Grew up in the desert. And then that person I'm speaking to sometimes will say, well, what do you mean desert? And sometimes sort of jovially they add into that response, what do you mean by desert? Like, what, did you have tumbleweeds around you or something? To which, of course, I respond, uh, yeah. <laughs> desert means desert for real, right? Even evoking all the images that you might have when you hear that word of a dried up tumbleweed or a thage bush blowing across a desolate, dusty landscape. That was my backyard. I don't know what yours was like. Hot all the time. It wasn't uncommon for high temperatures to peak at or over 110 degrees in the summertime, which of course meant when you're growing up, you learn real quick not to leave your cassette tapes or your CDs, I know I'm dating myself, in the car, because you won't be listening to that Def Leppard album anymore. Or Run DMC, whoever it was. Even the river that cut through town where I grew up, the Mojave River, was mostly an underground river. Some of you might say, what's an underground river? Isn't that an oxymoron? No, but for real, most of it was a dry riverbed, sand, brown. And yet that's not all that's true about the desert that I grew up in. One of my favorite places to go with my family or with friends was a place called Mojave Narrows Regional Park. I actually looked it up by Google Satellite this past week just to walk down memory lane. And what you find through the satellite is against this dry, parched landscape, all brown, suddenly there's an explosion of green. You can see it right there on the screen, right? There's a, an, an area where the river actually emerges a narrows, where there's a convergence of different streams, just enough for life and vegetation sort of to explode out of nowhere. Rivers and hiking trails and places to fish and locations where uh, the church that I grew up in would sometimes have its picnics. The website of the Mojave Narrows Park boasts the park is home to more than 1,500 species of washable wildlife. And some of that is because of the tall trees that you can find growing there. Yeah, no, not far from there, the tumbleweeds and the shriveled up stuff that's more common, yet here in the Narrows, trees that tower up to 30, 40 feet in the air with their deep roots planted in the river that runs by. As I thought about those memories, my upbringing, the desert, this rare oasis and its tall trees, these, these memories reminded me a bit this past week in preparing for this sermon of this passage. The prophet Jeremiah in the passage we're looking at from chapter 17 of that book is preaching to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, God's people. And he's warning them about the threat of exile, of judgment and destruction 
The people's hearts had become hard before the Lord, hardened by their sin. Jeremiah keeps them accountable. He also offers them hope. But as he does so, he gives them two pictures, two images, and two plants, two types of trees. The first is a picture of a bush in the desert. We find that in verses 5 and 6. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. And then we're given a second image, a second picture. A tree by a river. You saw that in verses 7 and 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, what's going on here? These two images are describing for us two orientations towards God or two ways of living. We might describe them as the parched life and the rooted life. Well, what do we learn about each of these? Let's examine this just a little bit more together. First, this image of the parched life. The picture again is of a bush, a bush in a desert, in a place where there's almost no other sign of life, a salty land that kind of prohibits lush vegetation from growing of any kind. No one can be found. Some think that this plant that Jeremiah is referring to here, this bush, might be a wild tamarisk or maybe a juniper. The specific species of plant is unclear, but we do know what he intends by this metaphor. Because the word, therefore, bush, also means, carries the nuance of naked, desolate. See, this plant, whatever kind of plant it was, was stripped down, almost leafless, no fruit. You know, it was kind of like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree with no Christmas, right? It was a tree that looked like always, even at its best, like it was barely hanging on for life because it really was. It was a tumbleweed just before it started tumbling. You see, the picture here is of a person that is spiritually lifeless. And why is it that this person is so lacking in spiritual vitality? Well, we're told because this is a person that trusts in man. A person that trusts in themselves, that roots and anchors their sense of self, their future, their identity, their everything, in who they are. We have a couple of other phrases that help us understand what this language of trust is all about. We're told this is a person who draws strength from any other place besides God. 
a person whose heart turns away from the Lord and to other things. Oh, friends, does this describe you? If not fundamentally, maybe just recently, where have you been putting your trust? Or in other words, where do you typically go to get happy? Where do you try to find relief when you need it? What's your favorite source of answers for the hardest and biggest and most pressing questions in life? Where do you turn when you're tired? Th those are answers to the question of our true trust, uh, the true sources of our strength, the true location of our heart. It, it, it might be our workplace. It might be our favorite couch of ours. It might be a certain relationship. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, but they can become almost religious to us, can't they? Save me, oh pillow. Save me, romantic interest. Make my worries go away, oh drink. What has it been for you lately? See, what's great about this image are a couple different layers that the prophet offers to us. Notice how he tells us that the way in which our hearts work, if we're becoming like this bush in the desert, is that we're not only filled with deceit, self-deceit, it's deceitful, but we're also becoming disfigured and ultimately leads to death. Let's take each of these at a turn. First, it's deceitful. It's hard to see when you're becoming like a bush in the desert. You see, because this passage tells us on a few occasions that the problem lies not out here in the things that you're doing, but deep in the heart. Again and again, we see these different mentions of the human heart. In verse 5, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. You see, we're not always aware of where our trust actually lies, of the things that we're clinging to, especially when the heat of life is pouring down. So just a second ago, I asked you a bunch of questions about where your trust lies. You might have just spouted out a couple answers just in the back of your mind. This passage is saying, are you sure? Because our hearts are deceitful. Maybe you gave the right religious answer. Maybe you said Jesus a little bit too quickly. Maybe you didn't know what the answer was, but you told yourself that you're going to be okay. You see, what this is telling us is some of us are becoming parched like a desert, but you think you live in a rainforest. Because you're looking around and you're saying, well, this part of life seems to be going just fine. This part of life seems to be spouting, blossoming success. These relationships seem okay. But are you looking deep enough? Are you getting underneath the surface, as it were? You might be aware of these crazy phenomenon that you see on the news every now and then, usually on the internet, because it's kind of these weird, cool things that you see. Tragedies, actually. Sinkholes. I mean, what is up with these sinkholes? Right out of nowhere, suddenly, in the middle of a neighborhood or a city block, 
everything just collapses. Why? There's some source of water that's been running underground, possibly for months or even years. Sometimes, suddenly out of nowhere, the ground just collapses underneath itself, and a hole 10, 30, sometimes even 100 feet deep suddenly appears out of nowhere, swallowing up cars and yards and even sometimes parts of homes. Right, these places that have been hollowed out underground, but completely out of view to most people. It was going on underneath the surface. Just looking around on the top, you might see the beautiful landscape yards, you might see the cars in the parking lot, or driving through the street, totally deceived or not recognizing what's actually going on underneath. This is the kind of invitation this passage is giving to us. Where is your heart? Where does it lie? You might think you are a rainforest when you might actually be parched like a desert. It's deceitful. But secondly, it makes us disfigured living like this. You know, the passage opens up in verse 5. This is what the Lord said. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. This person is like a bush in the wasteland, like a bush in the desert. But what is this curse in verse 5? Is it lightning bolts? Is it locusts? No. Do you know what the curse is to the person who has not planted their trust in the Lord and who has become like a parched shrub bush in the desert? What's the curse? It's a shrunken, withered, miserable, incapacitated soul. Look at this interesting phrase in verse 6. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. See, if you know anything about desert plants, as I'm an expert of desert plants, right? Their roots, their leaves, their stems are adapted to that low rain environment. You know, it's actually possible to drown plants. That's true of any kind of plants. Anyone that's trying to grow plants, even here in this part of the universe, knows that that's true, but especially in the desert. It's why there's such things as flash floods in the desert. Most people think, wow, there's, it's, it's so needy of water. Wouldn't you think it would love to get a downpour of rain? Well, no, the ground is not used to absorbing that amount of water. And the roots of desert plants are not used to or adapted to drinking up large amounts of water. Friends, if you are parched like a desert plant in your soul, even when prosperity comes, even when the rain pours down, you won't have the capacity to receive it. Because you've become disfigured. Because your soul has become adapted to the desert, as it were. And maybe you've experienced this lately. Uh, you've planted yourself into your work, and even when you experience success, there's still that nagging feeling of failure that doesn't seem to go away. They can't see prosperity even when it comes. Or maybe it's a relationship that you prize maybe too much, that even when things seem to be going well, you're still always anxious that you might lose it. 
You can't see prosperity even when it comes. See, the thing about being unplugged from trust in God and plugged too much into trust in other things is that it starts to distort your soul because you were made to be a plant planted in God and nothing else. That you're drawing life from the wrong thing, of course it's going to start twisting who you are and what you have a capacity to do and to be. Beloved, some of us have been living for a while withered, Some of us have been accommodating the witheredness of our souls. I say this not as accusation or condemnation, but with compassion to say, this is your time to receive the water of life. This is the time for you to find healing from that disfigurement to become the plant that you were created to be in God, in Christ. You see, if your roots are not in God, your life will wither. If our roots are in anything but God, our lives will wither. And this is why this passage points us in the direction of death. The problem is not just that this is deceitful. It's not just that we remain disfigured. It is that it ultimately and finally leads to death, the death of our souls. And friends, some of us feel this acutely. See, because some of us have been trying to hold our breath for the duration of the pandemic, possibly knowing that things aren't right in your spirituality. Things aren't quite right, but you've been telling yourself, I can hold my breath a little bit longer. If we were to take that expression literally, could you actually biologically hold your breath for 18, 20, 22 months? The answer obviously is no. So why are you trying to do it spiritually? Not tending to the things that needed to be tended to. Not actively, even vigorously replenishing yourself in the love of God. Or for some of you, not getting back onto that spiritual journey, seeking God for the first time that you began just before the pandemic, but kind of set aside in the past number of months. Friends, the greatest threat to your well-being right now is not a pandemic as truly threatening as that may be. The greatest threat to your and my well-being is a parched life in the midst of a pandemic. This is what God is calling us to recognize and in his mercy inviting us to bring before him the waters of life. Which brings us to the second point, the second image, the rooted life. The rooted life. This second picture describes not a bush, not a shrub, a tree. Like one of those tall things that I grew up looking at and trying to climb at Mojave Narrows by that riverbed. It describes the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. It describes a heart that's turned toward the Lord. A person that draws strength, draws life from God himself. This is a picture of one who has God as the true center of their life. A tree planted by the water. Friends, where Are you planted? Right? 
I mean, some of us, if you were to ask, you know, so where are you? Where have you been over the last year or so? Challenges and trials galore, right? If I were to ask, where have you been? Well, some of you might think spatially, well, I've been kind of sitting in that one chair that I'm always sitting in. But how about spiritually? How about where you're most present in your mind or where your daydreams make you want to long to return to? Where are you planted? Some of you are planted in front of your TV. Some of you are planted in front of your computer screens. Some of you are planted only in front of that one person that you've been spending your whole time with, your devotion with, your life in love with. Where are you planted? No judgment for this second here, just raising that question that we recognize that every one of us are planted somewhere. Where are you drawing sustenance from? Or in other words, what are your streams of water? Here is an invitation to the true streams of living water, God. There's a blessedness that is being handed before you, a blessedness. Look at verse 8. This kind of tree, this plant, it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. See, notice, it doesn't say that those who trust in the Lord will only see sunny skies and cool breezes. No. It says, yes, the heat will come. And it has come. It says, yes, the drought will come. And it has come. But the passage also tells you, by God's grace, that you can endure more than that. You can flourish, even in the midst of the trials and the harshest of conditions of life. No fears, which doesn't mean you're never afraid. I think it means ultimate fears, the kinds that bring you to your knees with despair. No worries. Does that ever mean you're never anxious about anything? No, I think it means the kind of anxiety that rips your mind and even your body's almost literally apart. It's just defragmenting you so badly. No fears, no worries, and promised fruitfulness, even in the heat of the drought. See, the prophet here, listen, the prophet here offers a comparison. We just looked at this between the bush in the desert and the tree by the waters. And then he offers a comparison within the comparison. See, the bush takes on the qualities of the environment. The air and the environment is parched. The bush is parched. The environment is lifeless. The bush is lifeless. Here is a tree by the stream that defies the qualities of its environment. It's dry out here, yet there's springs of living water in here. It's hot out there, but it's cool like day in here. Here is an invitation by the grace of God to durability in the face of a spiritual drought, to fruitfulness even in the face of famine. I mean, friends, this, the helpfulness of this picture is that it, it really starts to stoke our imaginations a bit. Helps us to believe, just by thinking about a tree by a river, 
Do you know that it's possible to flourish even in the midst of parched circumstances? We don't generally believe that. We really don't. We believe if it's hard out here, it's got to suck in here. We really conclude that. We assume that. If I'm going through challenging economic times, then of course I'm going to be stressed and bitter. If I am struggling with broken relationships, of course I'm shaking my fist at God. If I'm going through the stress of a pandemic, of course I'm forgetting about God and neighbor. It doesn't matter. This is just the way it is. And the Bible is telling you it is the way it is by nature. It isn't the way it is by the grace of God. It's possible to see fruitfulness in your life in the midst of the most parched circumstances, indeed, even in a pandemic. To live less fearfully. It needs to be said, friends, this is a season of much fear. In many ways, yes, rationally based fear. That is understandable. God is gracious. But do you know it is possible to live less controlled by your fear? Less dominated, defined by your anxiety? It's possible to be surrounded by the heat of the desert and still be alive. It's possible to bear fruit, to have green leaves, in fact. The fruit of the Spirit. You know, everything out there in life might be falling apart, and yet, by God's Spirit, you still can be a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I missed one. I always do that. <laughs> Gentleness. God bless the children. The fruitfulness of God's spirit, the fruitfulness of love. Everything can be going wrong. And by the power of the resurrection of Christ, do you know you still can love? And love sacrificially and in a costly sort of way. But I have to go to this question, but why is such a plant able to do this? Why are you and I able to do this? You know why? Let's take the image seriously. It's all about the roots. It's all about the roots. What do roots do? They anchor the plant into the ground, enabling them not to blow away or get knocked down. Roots also nourish the plant, drawing in water, minerals, and food, and extending itself, this is the nature of roots, as deep as it takes to find that water, and as wide as it takes to drink it all in. You see, the secret to flourishing, to fruitfulness in the parched desert is to answer the question, where your roots lie. And it's got to go underneath the weather. Friends, where are, you sending, where are you sending your roots? That's the question of the day. You want to persevere in a pandemic. You want to persevere in a parched land. You want to persevere even in the scorching heat of a famine, of a drought. 
Your roots need to be planted deeply, firmly, persistently in the love of Christ for you in the gospel. That you might nourish your soul and drink in the favor of God, feeding on on a regular basis as a root would, getting underneath the weather that you might flourish even against all odds, right? Because isn't that the, the testimony of people of faith that you kind of stand out maybe as a little bit weird because, hey, everything seems to be falling apart and yet you cracked a smile. How can that be? Everyone else seems to be falling apart and yet you seem to still be well-functioning and not just functioning, but loving. How can that be? Because you're a tree with roots planted by the streams of water. See, some of us are in a bad habit of only staring at the weather and taking cues about how I ought to be and feel because of the weather. Some of us have become weather forecasters staring at the sky. God is calling you to be gardeners tending to your roots. Roots that are, of course, called invited, commanded to be planted deep in Jesus. Right? Even in verse 13, the water, the stream, is, we're told, is, is God himself. They have forsaken the Lord, the Lord, the spring of living water. And in verse 12, we find this reference to a glorious throne exalted from the beginning. So where are our, plant, our roots supposed to be planted in? Uh, the Lord, who is the water, and the King, who is Christ. Of course, it's no mystery. Jesus himself testified to being these things. John 4, 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And as he says in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Friends, will you seek Jesus, and send out your roots into him. Okay, so let's apply this quickly and then we're done. Some of us need to be planted in Jesus for the first time. Maybe you see yourself as that parched bush, shrub, and you know you're lifeless. This is an invitation for you to let Jesus replant you for the first time into himself. All you need to do is cry out the very prayer that you find here in verse 14, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved for you are the one I praise. This is a, a promise of a healing from a spiritual sickness, of a giving of life to those parts of us, all of us that have withered and died. There's an implied desperation in this cry to be saved. That's all God asks of you if you want to be like a flourishing tree planted by the river of Christ. Some of us need to be planted for the first time. Others of us need to be repotted. Replanted. Because you're sitting there in old dirt. 
and you need to give your roots a refresh. Or you need to grow from being a house plant to what you were intended to be, which is a sidewalk oak. God wants to grow you in that way. He needs to repot you. And so how do we do this? How, how do we send our roots out by the stream? How do, how do we make sure that we're more deeply and firmly planted by the living waters of Jesus? Now, on one level, this is simply what the Bible calls the work of discipleship and maturity. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, using this same metaphor, this idea. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Our shepherding team has discussed and prayed over and identified the need for us as a church to do more to help cultivate maturity amongst you, amongst us. Uh, to put into place a more systemized way of teaching, instructing, walking with, and forming you, uh, forming us all together in the image of Christ, growing in maturity. Discipleship is a word that's often used for that. Something we want to be freshly committed to doing together. Pursuing what pastor and author Rich Velotis has called a deeply formed life. On one level, this is what we need to do. The long-term work of sending out roots that build us up in maturity. But more specifically, here's one thing we want to do. Over the next two months, we as a church community are going to devote ourselves to building up our root systems. And by that I mean to call ourselves to together corporately uh, practicing regular routines of spiritual disciplines to form together new rhythms, new habits. See, because one thing that this tree image in the passage tells us is that the roots are not cultivated in an instant, right? Roots never are, especially of big trees, especially deep roots. It takes time. Roots don't grow in a day. We're talking about regular, even daily, persistent habits of faith that we need to cultivate. And so we're going to do that in two different ways. Calling ourselves and focusing on cultivating, honing two different spiritual practices in our community. In the month of November, we're going to collectively grow and learn in how to abide in Christ in rhythms of scripture and prayer. How do we do that? Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe you've even done it, but you've just sort of given up. We're going to do that together because we all need help. That's going to be the month of November, stepping through what it means to read your Bible in a way that's actually relational, to pray in a way that doesn't just feel like a burden, but actually is life-giving like water in a parched land for a tree. That's November. But we also recognize this. To have space to be present with God in prayer in the word means you need space in life. Sometimes we're just trying to cram things in when we have no margin. What we need is to learn the practice of Sabbath. So over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is talk about Sabbath, the practice of ceasing and celebrating, resting and replenishing in Christ in order that we might be able to drink more deeply 
of the waters of life that God gives us, Sabbath and scripture and prayer, that's going to be a six-week series that we're calling Rooted, because that's our prayer, and that's our longing. Our longing to experience the blessings of Christ. And I simply want to read for you in conclusion the words once again of what it is that is before us, what it is that we're invited into by God's grace. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree. Do you want to be a tree? Planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Let's pray. This is our longing, this is our prayer, our desire, O oh God. And so we pray again with the prophet, heal me, Lord. Heal us, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. Thank you for being water for us. Thank you for giving us life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.